0: And you may be seated. It was on July the 31st of this summer that I preached a sermon to you that was entitled Seizing the Moment, Maximizing the Moments that God Gives Us. And it really was a very stage setting for this particular season that we are now in. Missionary... C.T. Studd said this, only one life will will soon be passed. He said it that way too. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. John Piper wrote a book entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. Someone else said these words, it's later than you think. Really, the time is now to maximize our moments. Now is the time to seize the seconds and the time as it races by. You remember many years ago, Freddie Fender, he sang a song entitled Wasted Days and Wasted Nights. And that really is not God's purpose for any one of our lives. But God says, I have great and marvelous and wonderful plans and they have your name on it. The plans I have for you are to prosper you, to use you. And so we're kicking off this fall with a series that I've entitled The Just Factor. Now that word just is a plain old dud word until you add another word to it. So we've been adding some words to the word just to give it some pizzazz and some excitement. To make it a, a verb, a go word. Just see. Just hear. Just connect. And then that, when we add those words to it, the word just becomes an action word. And these were my sermon titles the last three Sundays. Just see the power of what your eyes see, the vision. Just hear the power of hearing the word of God. And then last Sunday, just connect the power of community. There are so many that are lonely in this world. And if we'll come together as a community, God says, those needs will be met. Just connect. Just have fellowship. So we're currently halfway through this series on obedience, being obedient to God and His Word. This adventure is going to be an exciting adventure for us. And so I want to ask you again this morning, what could happen, what could happen if you could just totally submit to what God's Word is saying to you this morning? What could happen if you could somehow... Take this flesh of ours that tries to raise up its ugly head and tries to make up excuses of why we should not obey his word. What if we could just slay those humanistic reasoning and knock it and set it aside and say, I'm just going to be obedient to his word and I'm going to watch what he'll do in my life. A transformation could take place. If we could just remove the flesh factor... Our lives would become the wow factor. We all want the wow factor, but God is saying, slay the flesh, obey my word, and you'll get some wow in your life. So today we want to add one other power word to the word just, and today I want to speak to you about just serving. you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't know you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. You only need a heart full of grace. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45, we read about a head-on collision between flesh and spirit. Serve others collides with serve me. Weight on me collides head on with weight on others. Give out collides with take in. Comfort me collides with comfort someone else. See others prosper collides with, oh, see me prosper. Sweat for me collides with sweat for others. Make me happy collides with make someone else happy. Make my day collides with make somebody else's day. Me first collides with. Others first. Now, when humanity collides with Jesus, pieces of flesh fly everywhere. And let me also say this this morning, that Jesus is the freight train and we are the smart car. You know what that means? He wins and we lose. And when we lose... (laughs) The amazing thing about God and his word, when we lose, we actually win. The realignment, the the, the makeover, the transformation is for our best. The Bible says he who loses his life will find it. Marvelous way that God explains it in his word. When you lose, you actually win. Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45. Let me read the scripture for you. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a selfish statement. Whatever I ask, do it for me, for us. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let us sit. One of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. We want some good seats in the house. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. and to give his life as a ransom for many. Flesh. Flesh has just collided with spirit. There's been a collision. And now it's up to the disciples to make some decisions. Are we going to listen and obey the flesh? Are we going to let that raise its ugly head? Or are we going to subdue the flesh and listen to what the spirit is saying? What do you call a chicken crossing a road? Poultry in motion. What do you call a boomerang that just doesn't work? A stick. Where do you find a dog with no legs? Exactly where you left him. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Not your cheese. What do you call a man who falls into an upholstery machine? Fully recovered. Now, what do you call a Christian who's not serving? A contradiction. Ouch. What do you call a Christian who's not serving? A complete contradiction. See, by God's grace, you and I have been redeemed. We've been saved and we've been set free, but we're not just saved to sit. We're not just converted to find a pew in a church and sit and become comfortable. We're not just called to sit in a seat of contentment and to bask in the sunshine of God's promises, promises of heaven, promises of eternal life. But the Christian has been redeemed and has been saved and has been called to serve. And the disciples in the beginning stages of their Christian walk and as Jesus began to teach them and explain to them, they were trying, Jesus said, I want them to get it. And the disciples, they would get it after a while, but at the beginning they had trouble getting this serving and I want the best seats, I want to sit with you. And, but Jesus was saying, you got to die. you got to give away everything. you got to care for the lost. They did it, but it will take them some time. Now, jump with me into the book of Acts. We're a little bit further ahead now, Acts chapter 2 and 42, where we we read about these early, these later disciples, followers of Christ that came into the kingdom. Acts 2 and 42, it says, talks about, as I read it, they got it bang on, this uh, servanthood ministry, along with the fellowship that... We read about in Acts 2.42, along with the prayer, along with the teachings, which is good, along with the signs and wonders, which are incredible, along with the meeting together as they did, it says that they gave to everyone as they had need. Yeah, they were together. Yeah, there was a fellowship. Yeah, there was a group. But they recognized there are some needs out there. And it says they gave to everyone who had need. These servants went to their known world and lived Jesus. And as the world saw their lifestyle, saw how they were living, saw what they were doing, they said, yeah, I can get on board with that. They came into the kingdom and the church grew. The church expanded. But if they would have saw hypocrisy, they would have said, I don't want any part of what They've got to share. I don't want their kingdom. I don't want their Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read that there was a Christianity that was in motion. Live it, and they'll find Christ. Don't live it, and they won't want what you got. I mean, who cares about the message? Who even cares about the sermon? Who even cares about the church building? Nobody cares what you have to say until they know how much you care. And so are you a servant? Are you looking for needs to fill? Are you looking for hurts that you can heal? Are you looking for opportunities to give yourself away? Matthew 7 and verse 16 says... You can tell what they are by what they do. You want to be great? Jesus said, you must be a servant in Matthew 20, verse 26. You want to receive? Jesus said, then you must first give. I mean, all of us have needs, right? But if you want to receive, just first give it away. You want to gain your life? Jesus says, then you've got to lose yours. Matthew 16, those, these are, these are fleshly things that our flesh loves to rise up and say, ah, disagree, disagree, disagree. Jesus says, no, no, this is what the spirit is saying. This is the truth. These are the facts. Do this and your life will never again be the same. Oh, Jesus has great potential for our church. Have you ever, I've sat in my chair and just thought about the potential, but tell what this church could be in the years to come. God has a potential for every church that is preaching the good news of Jesus. Great potential. I wonder in my mind, what if we could just reach it? What if we could just not be satisfied with the status quo and say, well, well, there's great potential We, we just want to reach. Just imagine. God has a great purpose for our church. What if we could just totally experience it? Yeah, the purpose. Now we know we're doing it. We're doing great things, but... God says there's still more. Jesus wants to develop brand new church ministries. What if we were the ones that would stand up and say, I'll be the brand new leader. Jesus wants to send us into the world. What if we could just went wherever he told us? What if we just got up in the morning and said, today is the day the Lord has made. Not only am I going to rejoice and be glad in it, but I'm going to pray for open doors. I'm going into my mission field. I want to be a servant. I want to be a slave to somebody. I want to share the good news of Jesus with somebody today. Our mission field. Jesus wants to send us. Jesus wants to equip us with his power. He said, you're not going to go alone. I've got great work for you to do, but you don't go by yourself. Call upon the Holy Spirit. Call upon the Holy Ghost. Wait. Call upon me in prayer. I'll fill you. And after I fill you, I'll use you as you go out. You'll have a power that you never dreamed was possible. The Holy Spirit. What if we just cried out for the Holy Spirit? Jesus wants us to see our harvest field. He wants us to see how ready it is. He wants us to see those that are ready to receive the good news of the Lord. And what if we could just be the combine to go in that harvest field and bring in the harvest? Jesus wants us to give him our energy and our resources and our time. What if we just we sang this morning, oh, to God, we surrender. What if we really just did it and didn't just sing about it, but really actually made a conscious effort and desire and and. Emptied ourselves of everything and said, God, I really mean this. It's not just words. I give you everything. Oh man, flesh don't like that. But you gotta stomp it down. Just imagine if if we just served instead of just waited to be served. There's a promise keepers devotional back. In July of this year that I was following, and, and in July the 4th, it was a powerful short devotional that, that caused the rest of my summer to be filled with questions like, what am I doing for the kingdom? What am I really doing for the kingdom? Let me share it with you, and I'm just going to share a couple of paragraphs from it. It's from Matthew Barnett entitled, My One Night of Homelessness. He said, I'm the pastor of a mega church in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. It was on the evening of the 15th anniversary of the beginning of the Dream Center, a ministry that helps restore the shattered dreams of broken people. To the horror of my church colleagues, I decided to spend that anniversary living among the very people I have come to love during these past 15 years. Once I arrived at the heart of Skid Row, I stopped in an effort to absorb it all. The sound of gunshots echoed through the streets. Yelling and screaming were common. Alcoholics brawling in the streets. Prostitutes demanding their money. Pimps beating their prostitutes to take away that money. It really was a war zone. Now I'm jumping down a little further. And he says this. I went to Skid Row with a secret thought that somehow what I was doing was heroic. I left there knowing that I'm not a hero, but a servant. I hit the streets feeling I was entering a danger zone. Oh, get this. Returning to the dream center, I realized the danger, the real danger was living a routine life not fully aligned with God's cause for me. That is what hit me so strong. We thought the danger was out there. The real danger is in here. And so the, the question I asked myself since I read that devotion was, Lord, what am I doing for the kingdom? What am I doing to advance the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? And sometimes we think, well, the real danger is out there in the streets where people are not of like mind. Can I propose to you that the real danger, and it can be, is in here. That really messes with my head may mess with yours because I'm the pastor of this church and I'm saying it's dangerous Sometimes can be dangerous in the church See the real danger for me is in my office Right there shelter protected with a door on it The real danger is in my pulpit this pulpit In my 38 years of being a Christian, there's some danger there. The real danger is in routine. I got a routine down pat every day. I can tell you exactly what I'll be doing at 8.02 tomorrow morning. Oh, yeah, I've got a routine. That can be dangerous for me. The real danger is 29 years of being a pastor. There's some dangers. In my 10th year of pastoring at Calvary Temple. In my 10th month of 2011. See, sometimes the church can be bad for you. Did I say that? Yeah, I did. Sometimes the church can be bad for you. if, If I'm not alert, if I'm not sober... If I don't allow God to shape me and mold me, pastoring can be bad for me. Now, let me qualify that by saying this, that I, you, we as a church, even as a denomination, we can become complacent. We can become comfortable. We can become cold. We can become calloused. We can become judgmental. We can become so robotic. We can become legalistic. We can become ingrown. We can become clicky. We can become fat on the word and lazy in action. We can become proud and haughty. We can become so hungry to be served served instead of hungry and humbled to give. We can become blind to the lost and dying that are all around us. Yes, the church can be a dangerous place to be in. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, now, guys, I want you to know something. You can be selfishly kingdom-minded and live for yourself, and you can jostle for all these positions and fight for better seats and get your own way. Or you can live for others. And live for others and follow my example. You got the choice. Collision. What are you going to do? And the truth is, we read a lot about church splits, church problems, and Many times it's because they lost their focus. They lost their vision, lost their purpose. They become inward focused instead of outward focused. And so they have nothing else to do but pick on each other and jostle for a position. Let me get this seat. Let me get that seat. Oh, the disciples. Wrestling with the flesh. And Jesus said, well, well, follow my example. Philippians chapter 2 is a great chapter to memorize. And the, the Bible says, Paul says, let this mind be in you. Or let this attitude be in you. The same mind, the same attitude of Jesus Christ who gave up everything. Everything. And came down, and dwelt, lived amongst us and became what? Our servants. The old church song that I remember singing was entitled, To Be Like Jesus. We may not sing it any longer, that's fine, but I'd like to know if we still like to be like Jesus. There are new song's wonderful, but do we still want to be like Jesus? To be like Jesus is to be a servant. To be like Jesus is to do a little sacrificing or maybe a lot of sacrificing. To be like Jesus is to do a little suffering, and maybe a lot of suffering. To be like Jesus is to give your very life for his cause. And so this is what, this is Jesus' ministry, his teachings, and these first disciples, here they are preparing, and they're primping and fitting themselves for a crown of exaltation. They find a mirror, say, hey, fellow's coming over here, and what do you think of my crown? Should it be on this side? Should it be on that side? Should it be to the front of my head, to the back of my head? What do you think about my crown of exaltation? Someone would say, get out of that mirror. I'm going to go in that mirror. What do you, I want the crown. Pull it off your head. Put it on my head. I want the crown. I want the best seat. What do you think of it now? And someone else would fight for it again. jostling for positions. And Jesus was speaking about a cross. He was speaking about a place of abasement. He was speaking about a place of death, speaking about a place of dying to self. Did you know that flesh stinks in the nostrils of God? Did you know that burnt flesh is a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God? I believe Ephesians chapter 5 speaks about that. He likes it when we die to self. He likes it when we can just do away with these old things. Fleshly appetites become hungry for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 13, the story is told about you know, the, the, the last supper, the Passover meal, and the eating together, sharing together, and along with the Passover meal was a basin of water in the corner of, a, of the room. Chuck Swindle writes this regarding that particular scene that we know, the washing of the feet story. Chuck Swindle writes, the room was filled with proud hearts and dirty feet. The disciples were willing to fight for a throne, but not for a towel. That hits. That hits. The disciples had to learn that Christianity and servanthood, they go together like two peas in the pod. You you can't divide them up. They're going down the same roads. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, the Bible says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. D.L. Moody said, we may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. He also said, the measure of a person is not how many servants they have, but how many people they serve. Rick Warren said, God does everything not want us to think less of ourselves. He simply wants us to think of ourselves less. we got to get it right, right? John Wesley said, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. What a great philosophy of life. Just serve. Just serve. This is a power adventure. We've been advertising it, saying there's power, and you want to get the rubber to the road, horsepower to the back wheels. There's some tremendous spin offs. How do you like that? Tremendous spin offs to being a servant, just serving. And so I thought this past week, Of ten good spin-offs. They're reserved for servants. Number one. They'll display a love that will shock the world. You talk about shock and awe. This will shock the world. They'll view people as Jesus does. Yeah. True servants. Display a love. Number two. God's servants will always be joy-filled. Servants are not miserable. Have you ever seen a servant who was miserable? You may meet a servant that's tired but fulfilled inside. You may meet a servant that is tired, but you'll also see a smile on their face. God's servants will always be joyful. Number three, God's servants will always have supernatural, never, supernatural stories to tell. Everybody loves to have a story. We all desire. God, give me a story. Let me share. God says, okay, be a servant. Oh, well, I don't know about that one. Walk through the door. I don't know about that. Going through that door, it scares me. Go through the door. Share the good news of Jesus. You want a good story? Be a servant. And servants that are totally sold out to God that do the work of the ministry, no matter what it is, always have these incredible supernatural stories. They just flow out of their mouths. Number four. God's servants will always have pure motives. Givers are just never out to get, are they? Givers are just out to serve. And they're, so you know their motives are always going to be pure. Number five, God's servants will always be the blessed ones. They are the blessed ones. They always seem to have all their needs met. They're not complaining. They're not looking at the... Glasses half empty. They're always blessed. Number six, God's servants care nothing about positions. They care nothing about positions. That means less stress. It means more time to laugh, more time to relax. Equals longer life. Sound pretty good to you? Good to me. They don't jostle for positions. They don't care about positions. They just want to serve. Number seven, God's servants will never struggle with their purpose on this earth. They'll never struggle with their purpose. Like a fellow I used to know back in Nova Scotia, every time I'd go back for a visit. How are you doing there, my friend? Well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I thought I heard this like two years ago. I just don't know what he wants me to do. When you're a servant of the Most High, You don't have to stand there and wonder what God wants me to do. Just do it. Put one foot here. Put another foot here. Head your way to a need. Head your way to a hurt. Head your way to someone who's crying and needs someone to assist them. You'll never wonder. Because servants just want to serve. And God opens up amazing doors. Mother Teresa. Do you ever think of her? Years passed, standing around saying, I don't know what to do with my life. Sir, that's all she did. Sir, many others, fine examples. Number eight, God's servants, I love this one, have health benefits. That's been proven that stingy misers and miserable people are more likely to be sick. I've read these accounts, and it's been proven, and you have as well. God's servants have health benefits. Oh, this is so mighty and powerful that it can change our lives. Number nine, God's servants always seem to have a positive attitude. Positive attitude. God's servants. And I love the last one. As I was putting these ten we putting some things together. I got the number nine. I said, i got to end on a, you know, I've got to have things even. So give me a tenth one, Lord. And here's what came. God's servants are certain to hear God say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He didn't say, Well done, thou good and faithful. Pentecostal. Servant. Wow. D- doesn't that hit you like it hit me last week? God, you're trying to tell me something too. It's the servants that God says, well done. You've been faithful. You've been obedient. Dave Thomas passed away now, but He's the founder of Wendy's. He once appeared on the cover of their annual report, and he was dressed in a knee-length work apron, holding a mop and a plastic bucket. He described the picture this way. He said, I got my MBA long before my GED. He said, at Wendy's, MBA does not mean Master of Business Administration, but it means mop bucket attitude. And Jesus had this mop bucket attitude. And so, do you want to have something to show for your adventure on this earth? If you want to have something to show for that, have a mop bucket attitude. Do you want to go out and make a difference for the kingdom of God? Have a mop bucket attitude. Don't wrestle for positions and fight for power, but say, God, I'm just going to serve, be a slave, be a servant. Be a hired hand, be a volunteer, be a laborer, be a mini Jesus. This has been a summer for me that I've really wrestled with. Gary, what are you doing for the kingdom? Hopefully there's been some impact from the pulpit. But in my personal life, Gary, what are you doing for the kingdom? There's your office, here's your church, there's the people. And we gather, we do Night and we're encouraged and built up. But Gary, what are you doing for the kingdom? I love what I do. But I'm soon going to be fifty-five. Thank you for those thoughts of you look so young. But Another, another year, i soon get my seniors discount coffee, and I'm looking forward to that day. It's upcoming very quick. But what am I doing for the kingdom? You know, the one-on-one. The mingling with people that don't talk the church lingo. Mingling with people that drink other things than sprite. I don't know. But lately there's been such a hunger in my heart (laughs) to do something for the kingdom. And and don't get me wrong, I love this. And I think that, you know, the older we get, we start wrestling with where we've been, what we're doing, where we're going, and the purpose of life on this earth. And When it comes down to it, what are we doing for the kingdom? And it's my desire to do personally my best for the kingdom ministerially in the church. Marvelous. But I don't want my Pastor Gary to become a danger thing for me. The Pastor Gary becomes someone that's removed from those that are really hurting. Suffering. I just want to bear my heart with you this morning. And so let me close by saying this. I know I've gone over a little bit. Number one, Find a place of ministry and roll up your sleeves in the church. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Do the work. That's one thing we can do, and there's lots of opportunities. They're always in the newsletter. Number two, I would never, never just stop there, but number two, roll up your sleeves. Walk into our city. In fact, maybe we should do it first. Walk into our city. Roll up your sleeves and look for hurts, look for cares, look for people that are suffering, ministries that need you to serve them. Do that first. And secondly, do something within the walls of the church that would so excite you to keep on keeping on. Worship team, come. We're going to close. Would you stand with me this morning? And I pray that you would consider this morning as you head home, you'd ask yourself, what am I doing for the kingdom of God? Maybe there's a kingdom of ma- man mindset you have to shake. What am I doing for the kingdom? We're going to close the song, and, and actually I'm going to go and sit down. And I want you to feel free to be dismissed while we sing this song. Or you might want to find a place at the front and kneel. Or you might want to sit in a seat and just begin to reconsider and think through what we've talked about this morning. Whatever it is, just do it and just leave the church today ready to explode for the Lord and to be the greatest servant you could ever be. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.